Father, we do acknowledge your presence with us and with your body, and we recognize that mysterious truth that we are your body here on earth. What amazing reality that you indwell your believers individually and corporately as well, and thank you that we can be the local church in your representation. representation. Please help us to understand how much it matters how we live and that you work through people. Thank you for your gospel. Thank you for its transforming power. Thank you that you changed lives. Thank you that you gave your only son to die on the cross for our sin, that we can have life and life more abundantly. We commit ourselves, Lord, to the hearing and the doing of the word now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, I invite you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke's gospel, please. Luke in chapter 5, and uh, I want us to read there a great moment in the life and ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ. Luke's Gospel, chapter 5, we're going to begin with verse 17, and we're going to read through verse 26. I want you to picture what's happening in in the theater of your mind. It's easy to do, it's a remarkable story. Imagine if you were this man, and I want you to... Imagine how you would fit into this story. Imagine if you were to observe this even today. Luke chapter 5, beginning with verse 17. Follow along in your copy of God's Word as I read, please. One day, as Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law, who had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem, were sitting there. And the power of the Lord was present for him to heal the sick. Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said, "'Friend, your sins are forgiven.'" The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, Who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking. Parenthetically, you better be careful what you're thinking around Jesus. And he asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say? Your sins are forgiven or to say, Get up and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home praising God. Verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God, and they were filled with awe, and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. Praise God. Wouldn't you have loved to have been there? I've selected this text this morning 
for a specific reason. Uh, one is I changed my message because I knew I would have limited time. I've already thrown out the whole introduction and it was a good one. <laughs> but we'll let the word speak for itself. But I did want to say that I've preached this sermon for three... I want to preach this word this morning for three purposes. Number one, I want to encourage Pastor Billy and Alicia as they step out into a a whole brand new phase of ministry. It's not easy being a pastor. It's not easy serving on a pastoral team. It's not easy to plan a new church. It's not easy to fit in and join with a new ministry team. I want to encourage your hearts, Pastor Billy and Alicia, to continue to be faithful servants in ministry. Secondly, our church at large, I just want to strengthen your hearts that we would be a church filled with faithful servants of the Lord and that it would be all about Jesus. Thirdly, we have the Berkeley, the Berkeley, the Jefferson County Fair. There'll be a lot of Berkeley County pagans there too, but we have the Jefferson County Fair coming up. And I want to encourage your hearts. There were maybe 12 or 15 at least that I saw in the class this morning. We need 42 individuals to man our fair booth. It's not fancy. It's not a cool new water softener product that you can sell at the fair, a new kind of snowblower that you want to see and take home with you. It's just people sitting in a chair with the simple message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on in, sit down. We'll share with you about this Lord Jesus the most important words they'll ever speak in their lives. And I want to encourage you to be faithful servants in ministry. To do this, I wanted to look at this passage of Scripture, and I want to look at it in light of uh, the title of our message today, and that is the kind of people that God uses in ministry. These are the kinds of people that God uses in ministry. It's interesting to me that in this story... A key part of the story in the passage are people with no names. The paralytic, this poor man who was paralyzed at least from the waist down and could not walk, we don't know his name. I'm looking forward to meeting him in heaven. I figure he's still dancing on those streets. I don't know if the golden streets have been paved quite yet. He's gone to prepare a place for us. But as, this, as we join together with saints of old... What a joy it's going to be to know this man's name and to sing praise to the star of the show, Jesus Christ, the one who spoke the word and healed his broken body. Did you see the pictures of Junior Laymaster? What a reminder of the pitiful nature of this brokenness. And there he was on his, la- on his mat. There's at least, we're going to say, four. We don't know if there were four. Might have been two strong guys. Might have been six There were at least four other men in the passage who are not named, and they are his friends. I'd like to share four characteristics of the kinds of people that God uses out of this passage to encourage our hearts today that we qualify. We qualify, and God can use us if we'll let him. First of all, I want you to see out of this passage that the people God uses, number one, are personally convinced that people really need Jesus. They are personally convinced in their heart that people really need Jesus. I want you to notice verse 18. It says, Some men came carrying a paralytic on a mat and tried to take him into the house to do what? To lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, then they go up on the roof. 
We don't know. It doesn't say anything about these men, really. And by the way, let me make clear from the inception of our word this morning that they are not the heroes of the story. They are simply the facilitators of the gospel. They couldn't heal this man, but they knew someone who could heal him. We don't know if they were neighbors. We don't know if they were relatives. It's even possible that he paid them and that the man on the mat knew to get to Jesus. But I think a clue in the passage, not to make more out of it than's there, but I think it's interesting that when Jesus saw their faith, notice verse 20, that would be plural, that would be the men who carried him and ended up actually lowering him down through the roof. It would be their faith that's being spoken of by Jesus. And Jesus was touched by the fact that they had engaged and interfaced with this broken man in a step of faith. I take it that they understood who Jesus was. I take it that they knew at least this much. If we can get our broken friend to Jesus, he can fix him. I think that that speaks about their faith. It speaks about some of the drive of their life. Somewhere in them was a personal conviction that people really need Jesus. They, had, they knew two things. A, they knew that their friend had a major problem. And B, they knew that Jesus could solve the problem. They were personally convinced. But it doesn't stop there. Secondly, I want you to see that the kind of people God uses, not only are they personally convinced that Jesus can fix their broken friends, but secondly... They are practically involved in connecting people with Jesus. They are practically involved in connecting people with Jesus. You see, it takes a little bit more than an intellectual or even a heartfelt assent. That person over there, they really need Jesus. Okay, let's go to Cracker Barrel. These guys didn't do that. These guys understood... And they were practically involved in a hands-on way. I want you to notice that they weren't preachers, probably. They weren't apostles. They weren't evangelists. They were just big, strong guys, evidently. If you've ever carried somebody who's broken and their body a limp weight, is very difficult to carry. This gentleman was on a mat, and I want you to see that they did more than just have good intention. It says in verse 19, uh, verse uh, 18 again, they tried to take him to the house to lay him before Jesus. They were carrying him. So somewhere that day, they woke up in the morning and they knew where Jesus was. And they knew he was down there talking and that he was going to be in town. It says in the passage, in the context, this is his hometown. And he's back in Nazareth. He's working there. He's speaking. He's teaching. The crowds are following him. This is early in the ministry of Christ because Levi, the tax collector, Matthew, hadn't been called yet. That's the next thing that happens. And so it's early in the ministry of Christ. And you noticed in the text it said that the Spirit of God was upon Jesus that day and he was really healing the sick. You can only imagine that that caused a real hubbub, didn't it? I know one thing I'd do right away. Jesus, fix my eyes, man. I'm so sick of wearing glasses and I can't see anything and I'm getting older and I'm getting worse. Just speak the word and fix my eyes. He could do it, couldn't he? And the other thing, Jesus, my ankles always hurt me when I stand up and start walking. I got to get some grease fittings put in or you heal them. Heal them, Jesus. People all across this room have more, worse things than that and you'd love for Jesus. And the crowd gathered, didn't it? 
and those Pharisees. And there's going to be a battle, isn't there? There's going to be a confrontation between light, that's the Lord Jesus, and darkness, that's the religious Pharisaical leaders, as they came to criticize and observe. And these guys woke up and they said, Jesus is down there. They said, let's go get him. He needs Jesus. They knew that he needed Jesus. Now they did a practical thing. How are we going to get him down there? Let's pick him up and carry him. So I don't know. They fashioned this mat somehow or it was a blanket. We don't know exactly. Some kind of heavy blanket. They grabbed the corners and down the sides and down the road they go. Can you imagine? And you just kind of make shift. I can kind of picture it's Eastern culture. It's dusty. It's a lot of people walking It reminds me of Africa a little bit. And just people all over the streets. And here they come, walking with their broken friend. They they were practically involved in a practical way, hands-on. Thirdly, I want you to see, not only were they personally convinced, not only were they practically involved, but they were passionately committed, number three, to connecting people with Jesus. They were passionately committed to connecting people with Jesus. They had a problem. In one of the parallel accounts, I believe it's Matthew's account, it might be Mark's, I forgot when I read it, didn't write it down. It says that when they got to the house, that the crowd literally spilled out the doors and was so big outside the doors that they couldn't even get to the doorway where Jesus was in this house. So here it is, and I can picture this from Africa as well. You've never seen people crowd in like they will. Americans won't do this very much unless they're going to get big money for it or something. Americans will not crowd their bodies up against other people they don't know. We don't like that. Japanese will do it. Africans will do it. There'll be like 59 of them in the back of a Toyota pickup truck going down the road as a taxi cab. They're all standing up, holding on to each other. If one goes, they're all going. I'm not kidding you. And the, the fenders are hitting the tires, and they're all packed together, just mashed in there. That's what I picture here. A house full of people just mashed together, and they're out the doors. And I can picture that in Africa as well. When they come around, there's a white preacher in the village, and they're all crowding around. They want to look through the windows. They want to see. I would be there, wouldn't you? I'd like to see Jesus heal somebody. I'd love to see that. A withered hand, blind eyes. This is no charlatan at work. This is no send your money and we'll bless you and pray over it. And God will pour out his blessing on you. None of that bogus stuff. This is the real thing. It was complete. It was instantaneous. It was all physiological. It was not psychological. And God, and there Jesus, God has his power on Jesus and Jesus is healing. And they've gathered around. But the crowd is so gathered, they come up with their buddy in their tarp or on his mat and they can't get him in there. You know, there's always a reason to stop, isn't there? There's always a reason to bail the plan. Well, we tried. I went and knocked on their door. Nobody was home. Oh, well, I tried. I love these guys because even though they're not named, even though they're evidently just normal guys, they were really determined. They showed a passionate desire and a commitment to connect people with Jesus They didn't give up, and they figured out a way, either at that house or an adjoining house, to get up the steps, to walk across the roof. And Luke says he removed the tiles. It's interesting. Skeptics of the Bible say, see, the Bible's not true. They didn't have that kind of construction then. And actually, Bible commentaries say there was uh, some 
uh, different construction involved. And it could very well be that this had a tile roof, pieces of the roof, whatever the roof was made out of. And they start tearing back the roof. It wasn't their house. They didn't have permission, evidently. They were just being creative in ministry. (laughs) Go down through the roof. Can't you see them talking? You're up on the roof, it's flat. It probably was made so that it was accessible because they probably laid out vegetables and different things and and seeds so that they would dry in the sunshine up there. And it was a place that you could go up. It's probably made out of uh, some kind of hard-packed mud. And they're kind of calculating. Do you think he's right about... No, he's over here. He's right about here. Maybe they put their ear down to listen. Where do you think he is? He's right here. And they start tearing up the roof passionately committed to connect their friend with Jesus. Why? Why did they need him to see Jesus? Because of who Jesus is. That's why. Listen, this wasn't just a a fun experience. This wasn't something that they were doing just to pass the time or they thought it was a good idea. They knew that Jesus could change his life forever. I want you to notice what Jesus does. Verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. They calculated just right. When Jesus saw their faith, verse 20, he said, and notice what Jesus does. Kind of funny, isn't it? I think he knows his audience. Friend, your sins are forgiven. Are there any greater words that Jesus could speak to anybody ever, anywhere, of any time, of any place? Whether you're from Berkeley County or Jefferson County, when Jesus looks at you and says, your sin is forgiven, you've got something. You're set free. He looks at the man and he says, your sin is forgiven. Now, that's not a measurable thing, isn't it? That's an internal thing. That's a spiritual reality that the wrath of a holy God is now being held back from you who deserve damnation in hell because of your sinfulness, because of your scorning of God, God, because you walk in darkness, because you're dead in trespasses and sins, because your righteousnesses are as filthy rags, the prophet said. And Jesus said, your sin is forgiven. Jesus knows what he's going to do, right? He's the Alpha and the Omega. He always knows the beginning from the end. He already knows. But he was getting a rise out of his audience, and that's exactly what happened. Verse 21, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? In other words, does this joker think he's God? Indeed, he did. Indeed, he was. Jesus knew what they were thinking. See, I told you. You've got to watch what you're thinking out there. Why are you thinking these things in your heart? What is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to say get up and walk? And now it's, he says why he's going to do what he sa- does. But that you may know that the Son of Man, that was a phrase that Jesus used to describe himself over and over in the Gospels. He was a, a Savior for all mankind He has authority on earth to forgive sins so that you know I can forgive sins. In other words, so that you know I'm sent from God, so that you know I am God in the flesh. He said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home and praised God. Listen, Jesus 
performed a miracle in the physical realm in order to prove his authority in the spiritual realm. You say, well, it's just not quite so exciting to follow Jesus now, days, because you can't see him, you can't feel him, and he can't put my body back together. He's going to put your body back together, let me tell you. 1 John 3 says that when we see him, we will be like him. I take that to be in the form of his resurrected body. We're going to have a resurrection body, amen, in Christ. But you won't have a new body. You won't have ultimate physical healing if Jesus doesn't first say to you, your sin is forgiven. Because no sin is allowed in. And we've violated the standards of a righteous and a holy God. But praise God, Jesus came and went to that cross and he became the liaison. He became the intercessor. He became the attorney. He became the, ne the negotiator between God and man. He said, I'll pay the price for their sin. And then I will give them my righteousness, those who put their faith and trust in me. And these men put their faith in him. And he forgave their sin. He forgave the sin of their friend. I take it he was included in their faith. He was one of the there. These people have no names. These people are just incidental, ordinary people. And they facilitated the most important moment of this man's life. That is, A, when Jesus said, your sin is forgiven, and B, rise up and walk. Notice what it says then. Immediately he stood up, verse 25, in front of them, took what he had been lying on, went home praising God. What a night. Mabel, fix pancakes, eggs, and bacon tonight because we are going to celebrate. Imagine the life change. He could work. He could hoe his garden. He could walk his dog. He could take his wife by the hand and take an evening stroll. He could take his fishing pole and head down to the creek. But more than that, think of the cleansing. Think of the release. Think of the relief of the guilt and the sin and the unknown and the fear of death. And the purposelessness of life. And Jesus said, your sin is forgiven. I want you to notice the impact then it had. Because fourthly, people that God uses are profoundly moved when people do connect to Jesus. Verse 26, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and they said, we have seen remarkable things today. What did they do? Did they worship the four guys? They worshiped the four guys who lowered the guy in the mat? Did they go touch and get the autograph of the healed guy? No, they were amazed. They were awed. They rejoiced at whom? At Jesus. He's the star of the show. He's the one that it's all about. I was thinking of an analogy. I was thinking you kind of, you end up with your car breaking down. And maybe it's your, it's your favorite car, you know, it's a, a vintage Mustang or something. And you're out tooling around, going to Dairy Queen, and your car breaks down. And so... Nobody knows how to fix a carburetor anymore. And uh, no mechanics out there anymore. They don't know how to fix a carburetor. you got one old guy that knows how to fix a carburetor. And you take it around to all these shops and nobody can fix your favorite, your old, your antique Mustang, your cool car. Because nobody can get the carburetor to work right. That's a lost art. Nobody knows. And so you finally find this old guy and you get a guy a wrecker and put it up on a rollback truck and take your Mustang down to the mechanic that can fix your car, fix your carburetor. And he fixes it, man, and that, that bad boy just runs nice. It purrs like a kitten, or you got glass packs or whatever. You have. Oh, man, it's great. Everything's good. 
And you go up and you, and you give the tow truck driver a big hug and a kiss on the mouth. Thank you for all you did for me, man. No. See, the guys with the ropes, they were the tow truck drivers. They facilitated. But do you notice the divine partnership here? Do you notice the human and the divine coming together? I have a friend. He's broken. I know someone who can fix him. The kinds of people that God uses are personally convinced that people really need Jesus. They are practically involved in connecting people with Jesus. Not only are they practically hands-on involved, but they are passionately committed to it and they don't give up connecting people to Jesus. And then when people do connect to Jesus, they are profoundly moved and they worship when people do connect with Jesus. Can I share just three motivating principles for ministry, Pastor Billy, with you and Alicia and with our congregation that I get from this story? Just relax. It's not going to go much longer at all. She said three more. Ten minutes apiece. (laughs) You think you know me, but you really don't. (laughs) See if you don't learn these lessons from this great story and these people that God uses, these people with no names. Number one, if I personally am going to be effective in ministry, I have got to see the brokenness of the people around me. Listen, you might not have lame, physically lame friends, but we've got spiritually lame people all around us in this pagan nation. Do you see the brokenness of people every day? They look like they're having fun to me. Yeah, but one day the laughter's going to end. And imagine when they stand before the great white throne of Jesus, Revelation chapter 20, and they're standing there. And if they've already died, they've been in a place of torment called hell or Hades, the Bible teaches. And then at the very end, they get pulled up out of there in this moment of relief in the great white throne. Read it yourself in Revelation 20. And the books are opened, and then the book, the Lamb's Book of Life, and they search for their name, and there's no name. Listen, you can laugh away your life if you want, but if the moment comes and you're standing before this great Jesus Christ on His great white throne, that it says the planets and the earth and the sky flee from His presence. It's so awesome on that great white throne. And all the people of the world are brought forward who don't know Christ, and it's shown that their name's not in His book. What good was the laughter for 75, 80 years? Jesus himself said it this way in Matthew. He said, what good is it if I gain the whole world but lose my soul? We've got to start seeing the souls of men and women and how broken they are. You've got to quit making excuses to not walk across the street and talk to your neighbor just because you think he's a, a tough guy or something. I don't know how you go about it, And I'm not sure these guys knew how to do it, but people who have a passion for something, they get the job done, whether they're trained for it or not. Number one, see the brokenness of my friends. Stop seeing their cars. Stop seeing their clothes. Stop seeing their cool premier jewelry. Stop seeing their gardens. Stop seeing their cool front porches, their boats, and start seeing the brokenness of their soul without Christ. They might have everything this world has to offer, but they're going to die and go to hell. 
And God uses ordinary people to connect them with Jesus. Number two, embrace servanthood, not stardom. You want to be an effective minister of the gospel. You want to be used of God. Embrace servanthood. I could go 10 minutes on this point, but I won't. The Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.1, Men ought to regard us as the servants of Christ. And he used a word, not the doulos word for deacon. He used a word, he used the word that says, that, that meant even a lower level. Those who are at the bottom, those who are the, the undercarriage, the menial task agents, the ones who serve the most menial tasks. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Be a preacher. No. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Give big money to the church. No. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? Learn to be the servant of all. Just let God show you. You start serving and watch God connect you in ways you never thought about. Start, just be a servant. Remember the men in the story? They were unknown, they were unnamed, they were unskilled evidently, and they were unpaid. And yet they connected their friend with Jesus. Thirdly and finally, third motivating ministry principle, trust the intrinsic power of the gospel of Christ to do its work. Trust the intrinsic power of the gospel of Christ to do its work. Do you know why the verses Pastor Billy read from 1 Corinthians 1 are true? Do you know why God can take the simple things of the world to confound the wise? Do you know why the Apostle Paul said that he didn't come into town? He didn't come uh, into town with eloquence of speech and a whole bag full of magic tricks to communicate the gospel? He says, I just came in the simplicity of the gospel. The Apostle Paul said, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. I'm not saying that we try to make a fool out of ourselves, but the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that are perishing. And we need to be like the farmer who's broadcasting the seed in the story that Jesus talked about of the sower. Some's going to fall on good ground at the fair and in North Berkeley County and here in Sunday school and in junior church. Some's going to fall on hard packed ground. Some's going to fall among the weeds. Some of the seed's going to grow. But picture, as I heard a preacher say once, Picture the little boy's, the farmer's little boy with his fat fist reaching up into his daddy's seed bag as he walks beside his father across the field as his father broadcasts the grain. And the little boy reaches up above his head and grabs a fistful and he throws seed too. Some of it falls on good ground. Oh, he didn't know how to make it come out of his hand like my grandfather and my dad did. They could spread seed like like one of these things. They just get it and it goes. But some of it grows. Why the intrinsic power of the gospel? Pastor Billy, Fellowship Bible Church and fair workers, you want to be a success in ministry? First of all, be driven in your ministry by the brokenness of the people around us, even if they don't know it. We should see them on a slippery slide going into hell. And it's our job to intersect and connect them with Jesus. Secondly, embrace servanthood. It's okay if nobody knows your name. We're not the star. Jesus is the star. Thirdly, trust in the intrinsic power of the gospel, but get the gospel out. 
It's not about fun and games. It's about just clearly connecting them with Christ. Let's bow in prayer. Father, it's good to gather, as always, with the body. As we say farewell to the Hearn family, to Big Bill and Gaynor, to Brock and Amy, to Rob and Monica, as they go out as a team and join the IBC crew, and in a little over a month, open the doors of that school and begin to preach and proclaim Christ, I pray that they will be driven by the brokenness of the people around them. The needs are great. That they will recognize, Father, the power of a servant life and just serve faithfully, even if it's without recognition that they will lift up Jesus as the star. And thirdly, that the intrinsic power of the gospel will bear fruit and we'll rejoice and worship together at all the people Jesus is going to fix in the weeks and months ahead. Father, may we serve at fellowship here faithfully. May we recognize the power of the gospel and that Jesus Christ alone is the one who heals us from our illness of sin and that he forgives us and that his shed blood paid the price for our sin. May we accept this free gift by faith and may we share it with others. And then at the fair booth, Lord, I pray even today in just a few weeks when the booth is opened and people are strolling in and by and around that you'll calm the hearts and minds of the people who are prepared to go sit in those chairs and tell them about their sin about the blood of Christ that cleanses us, cleanses it white as snow and how much God loves them and that heaven awaits those who are robed in the righteousness of Christ. I pray that even today you'll begin to prepare hearts that just the right people will come to the fair booth, that just the right people will walk into that school in the weeks ahead, that just the right people will be prepared as Fellowship Bible Church interfaces with our community and ministers in an ongoing fashion here in Jefferson County that souls will be saved, lives will be fixed, all for the glory of the gospel of Jesus Christ and King Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.